This is Eye to Eye, an Ayn Rand Institute podcast. I'm Amanda Maxim. Today I'm sitting down in our Irvine office with Ritu Parnabasu and Steve Simpson to discuss Obamacare. Ritu Parnabasu is an analyst here at the Ayn Rand Institute, specializing in healthcare issues. Steve Simpson is a former senior attorney at the Institute for Justice and current director of legal studies at the Ayn Rand Institute. He speaks and writes about a wide variety of constitutional issues. First, I want to welcome you both to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. So like most Americans, I've been following the news on the rollout of the latest health care law, the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. And I'm hoping that you can both help me shed some light on what seems to be like a daily deluge of information, sometimes seems like disturbing news uh, and stories about the, the health care law and its rollout. Uh, I think it'd be helpful first, though, to start with some background information. So, Steve, can you tell me what exactly does the new law entail? I mean, now that we're finally finding out what's actually in it. Sure. So uh, I think one thing that it entails is a lot of pain and suffering for everybody, uh, which is, uh, I think, not by mistake. But um, it's a really complicated law, extremely long. So to really boil it down, um, you need to, I think, do two things. First, have a sense of what the purpose of the law is, what it was trying to do. And then I'll outline just a couple of the provisions, and uh, hopefully then uh, Ritu can give us a little bit more background context. Um, So I think the simplest way to understand Obamacare is that it's really designed to totally transform what insurance was, health insurance, at least previous to the law itself. And I'm guessing that Ritu will have a few things to say about what insurance consisted of prior to that, but I'll leave that to her. But it was it was designed to change the nature of health insurance as it was, as it pre-existed, as it, law, as it existed before the law, to give us a sort of a government-mandated form of insurance. And mandate is a good word to uh, keep in mind. That's, uh, that's another uh, way to, to remember what the law does. It's got lots of mandates going in every possible direction. So let me give you a sense of what the mandates are. So we have an insurer mandate, we have an individual mandate, and then we have an employer mandate. And again, you know, the, the whole point of this is for the government to be forcing people uh, to accept a type of insurance, um, or at least what they call insurance, that uh, people wouldn't otherwise choose. So let me start with the insurer mandate. So, so what uh, Obamacare does is it, in effect, changes the way that insurance is priced and what insurance can include. So it says, for example... Uh, that the uh, that insurance companies are not allowed to decline coverage for individuals based on pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, it uh, it pr- it prevents them from pricing insurance policies based on actuarial or actual risk that individuals entail, and it instead requires them to do make their pricing decisions on kind of a base of like a like a uh, community average. So instead of basing uh, pricing decisions on what individuals, the, the sort of risk that an individual would uh, present, uh, they look at a whole community and they do it on, a, on an average basis. Um, it finally also, and, and again I'm summarizing here, it requires insurance companies to provide what's known as minimum uh, essential coverage. So all insurance plans have to cover a number of minimum things, regardless of whether or not individuals would choose those things. Just a couple examples, birth control, uh, maternity leave. I think there's a there's a requirement. Maybe Ritu can correct me on this for drug counseling services. All kinds of other 
things that people wouldn't normally want to include in their insurance. Now, what that does is it, and we might be able to explore this a bit, it drives the cost of insurance sky high, right? Because insurance companies need to make money on insurance, and if they have to cover everybody and they can't uh, make individual pricing decisions, their prices go up. So how do you solve that? That brings us to the individual mandate. One way to do that is to force everybody to buy insurance. And in essence, what they're trying to do is force young, healthy people into the insurance risk pool so that their premiums, which they won't be using for themselves because they don't need health insurance, really, or they're not getting sick as much, their premiums would go to pay for all of the other people that are being brought into the uh, insurance pool. So that's the second thing that Obamacare does. The third thing is an employer mandate. All employers have to offer uh, group insurance plans, I think, if they're more than 50 people. And then finally, what it does is it creates these things called exchanges that you've heard about. They're kind of government-created marketplaces where you're supposed to be able to buy uh, insurance if it's not being offered on the private market. There's a lot we can say about that, but I think I'll leave it right uh, there. And uh, perhaps Ritu wants to elaborate on anything I said. But that's, a, that's kind of a good nutshell of what the law does. Yeah, so the way I would put the law in terms of how you know, because it is a big law, it's complicated, there's a lot of provisions, and like you said, Amanda, we are now finding out what's in it, and I don't actually think we have found out completely what's in it. We're discovering new things every single day, and I think we'll continue to do that going forward. But the way I hold it is really looking at the purpose of the law, as Steve said, what is the purpose? And when they were promoting the law, when they were marketing this law, when they said, yes, we want Obamacare, they said it very clearly. They said, well, we have a core moral and ethical obligation. We have a core moral and ethical obligation to provide health care to people in need. And there are people right now in the United States who want health care and they cannot get it right now. And we have to do something as a society about that. And that's what Obamacare does in all of its forms and all the different provisions. The main idea is to make sure that people who are not um, able to get health care right now for whatever reason, that they cannot afford it, that now it is the responsibility of everybody else to provide that health care. Um, and so that's how I hold Obamacare's various provisions. And so things like the individual mandate, why do you need everyone to buy health insurance? Well, because they, even if you don't, they don't need it, people who do need it, we have to lower their costs. Or why does everyone have to buy coverage for birth control? Why does a man need to buy coverage for birth control? Well, because there are people out there who do need birth control, women who de do want birth control, and you have to lower their costs, so we have to make everyone buy it. And so that's really the guiding force behind the law. That's, that's illuminating. And I want to get maybe into some of more of the specifics of what we've heard in the news and what's happening with the, the rollout of the new law. But before we do that, uh, Ritsa Parnum, can you tell me, how does Obamacare fit in with the history of, of health care in America and government involvement in health care? Sure. So Obamacare is at the end of a long line of government intrusion in American health care. Um, there's a lot of discussion right now about the status quo before Obamacare um, because people are trying to remember, well, why did we have this law? In, why did we agree to this law in the first place, given all the problems that we're seeing with it? And the way the status quo before Obamacare is usually described, the notion is that, well, the healthcare market was relatively free before Obamacare, that it was a mostly free market. And in fact, that's not the case. For the last at least 70 years, government has been deeply involved, deeply uh, entrenched in American healthcare. So everything from doctors, hospitals, drug companies, uh, health insurance companies for sure, there is very little that they can do without government permission. And so Obamacare is at the end of, 
um, of all these sorts of efforts. And the goal is the same for all of these different efforts, and it is to fulfill that core moral and ethical obligation to provide health care to those in need. Um, and in the case of Obamacare in particular, it was, well, people with pre-existing conditions, um, they, they can't get health care right now. Insurance companies are not giving them policies in many cases, and so everybody else now has to go and pay for that. And previous government intervention dealt with other aspects of this. So it's, well, seniors um, are having trouble affording their health care in certain cases, so now everybody else needs to uh, be required to do that. Or lower-income people, um, as in Medicaid, they can't afford their medical expenses, so not everyone else. So that's been the goal driving it, and Obamacare is at the, it's at the end of a centuries-long effort to make that kind of system um, appear. Just one quick point. One of the big myths of Obamacare, and frankly of the, the market, so to speak, for insurance before, is this idea that it actually creates a form of insurance. It's not insurance at all. You, know, you think about what insurance is. Insurance is a way for people to deal with risk and to pay for kind of calamitous events that happen in their lives. And so you pool a bunch of people together and then you spread the risk among them. That's not really, that's certainly not what Obamacare does. Obamacare is really just a kind of a, uh, it's a step before you get to kind of a single payer uh, for medical care. But even for years prior to Obamacare, we, we've thought of insurance in, in a completely, you know, just wrongheaded way. This I, and there are many reasons for that that we probably can't get into now. But uh, insurance is not just a way to pay for all of your expenses in a given area. It's a way to pay for uh, large or, or deal with uh, um, significant risks in your life. And unfortunately, Americans have come to view insurance as just a, it's like a prepaid or plan-based way of paying for all of your medical expenses. So if we're ever gonna get out of the mess that we're in now, we're gonna have to change the way people view insurance. Yeah, so it sounds like what Rituparna is saying that the the law is based on uh, a goal that people have had in this country for a long time, a moral goal. And if the goal maybe isn't the correct goal, there may be problems with, with the law and how it goes into effect. And people have pointed out all sorts of issues with the law so far, um, from a, a faulty or broken website to people getting letters in the mail telling them that their insurance has been canceled. Uh, some of the problems seem kind of like a distraction. Others seem like they might be significant. Um, Steve, can you tell me, are any of the, the problems that have uh, come along with the rollout of Obamacare particularly important or telling? Yeah, I actually think all of the problems that have come, that have, we've seen with the rollout of Obamacare are important or telling, depending on how you look at it, though. And, and so let me try to just summarize or, or sum up um, and touch on two of them. Uh, one that I think a lot of people see as insignificant, but but all of the problems with this law give you a sense of, or should, I think, if you think about it the right way, what the underlying mistakes are in how we think about not only the Obamacare law and what the government has done to the health insurance and the health care market, but law as such. So the, the two terms that I'll, I'll start with are force and ideas have consequences. Okay, so two, two things that are ignored in the nature of how law functions these days. Uh, and and uh, let, me, let me give you an example in this law of each of those things and how I think they've played out. The first is uh, the website, uh, the, all of the website problems. Now, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the website problems because solving the problems with the website is certainly not... Uh, solving the problems with this law. The whole law should be uprooted and thrown in the garbage, and it's, it's an utter monstrosity. 
And unfortunately, too many people are paying too much time, uh, paying, uh, spending too much time talking about the website. But the website does, does give us kind of a glimpse into one of the things that is wrong with law today, and that's force. Okay, so when uh, and and if you if you step back a minute, a lot of people are calling, uh, and using a very apt metaphor for Obamacare, which and calling it a train wreck. Right? It's a, it's a great metaphor for a lot of reasons, but one of them, I, one of the reasons I like it. Is that uh, is that it harkens back to Atlas Shrugged, okay? And one of the points that Ayn Rand made in Atlas Shrugged, uh, and she made many, many, many other points, but one of the points she made is if if you uh, effectively replace individual, independent judgment and thought with force, what you get is, among many other things, uh, train wrecks. You get destruction of society, right? And if you remember in the novel, The Great Train Wreck in the Tunnel. She sets all of that up and all of the mistakes that happen, all, not just mistakes, but all of the, the, the breakdown of society. She sets it all up by pointing out, she explains how every step of the way you have people not making independent choices, not thinking with their own minds. Why? Because force has taken the place of thought. Okay, when that happens, you know, any system will break down. So I think the best way to think about what has happened with this website is this is a good small example of what happens when you try to replace independent thought and independent decisions with force. Because look at, look at what's happened with this website. You have contractors that have a million different regulations they have to follow. None of these guys are allowed to make independent choices. They're not operating the way any business would operate, which is by uh, uh, you, you know, relying on the intelligence of their employees to think, to solve problems, to find out what their actual customers want and try to address the needs of those customers. That's thought, that's reason, right? That's rational behavior. How does, how does, the, how does the government work? It operates by having a zillion regulations and mandates ordering people to do their bidding. So of course, it shouldn't surprise us that the people who set up the website never thought about all of the possible consequences that they needed to deal with. They never thought about things as simple as how are we gonna verify the identities of people who need to uh, sign up on those, these websites. A million different decisions they never thought about at all. And of course, we should ask the question, why would they think about that, right? Are they dealing with customers? Are they dealing with employees who whose independent thought is valued? Of course not. This is a mandate-based system. The, the, the customers, or the so-called customers, they don't matter at all. We're foisting this program on them, and they're going to take what they get. So why the heck should we care about their convenience, about their desires, about their needs? There's no way for the people who are running and setting up this system to do it in any rational way whatsoever. It shouldn't surprise us that the whole thing is coming crashing down. So that's the first thing. Second point, ideas have consequences. What's the idea behind the Obamacare law? Well, here's, here's one way to think about it. It's, uh, it's a law that is designed to supplant or replace your choice about what kind of medical care you want, what kind of insurance uh, you want with the government's mandate. Again, the, the idea of mandate. So is it possible in a, in, a, in a situation like that that you're gonna be able to make your own choices to do what President Obama quote, promised everybody and, and be able to choose your own uh, health care policy? Of course not. The whole point is to do away with health care policies or, or insurance policies the way they were at least previously uh, designed, which allowed for customers to have some amount of choice, right? So the, all of these widespread cancellations that we're seeing that everybody's complaining about, uh, as a lot of people have pointed out, that's not a bug. It's a feature. It's supposed to act that way, right? 
So if we grant the premise that government's going to make our choices for us, of course it's going to cancel our, our, uh, our health care policies. Of course we're not going to be able to decide what we want. That's built right into the premises of this law. So uh, those are the two you know, um, points that I'd keep in mind. And the broader point is always, always ask yourself, what are the premises on which any law is based or on which uh, the the ideas that that underlie the law, what are they based on, and how do they actually have to work out in uh, in practice? So, Richard Parna, uh, talking about the the system before Obamacare was passed, I mean, clearly there are a lot of problems, but there were a lot of problems beforehand, and Obamacare was supposed to to correct some of those problems. So, can you tell me? Uh, you know, the president has repeatedly called the system broken, and I'm wondering what are some of the problems in healthcare that this new law was meant to correct or meant to address? And more broadly, why was the system broken and who broke it? Yeah, so it's definitely the case that um, the American healthcare system prior to Obamacare had lots of problems. If you just think about something like insurance, one aspect of the healthcare system, Health insurance premiums were continually increasing. It was not unheard of for your premium to go up 10, 15, 20% in a single year. And if you compare that to something like your car insurance, your life insurance, you are not seeing such rapid increases. And this was a real issue for people. Or, you know, you had insurance and that was completely tied to your job. So if you left your job, you would lose your health insurance. This is a big problem for a lot of people. If you want to go and, um, and start your own business, be an entrepreneur, well, now you have to worry, well, I'm not going to have health insurance anymore. Though we don't worry about these things with car insurance, with life insurance. So health insurance, definitely, there were a lot of problems before Obamacare. And so the whole question is, well, what caused it, right? And as I said before, the notion was that, well, prior to Obamacare, the status quo was a pretty much a free market or mostly free healthcare market. And what is the consequence if you have that kind of wrong view? And, uh, you know, it's, it's just factually incorrect. Well, the consequence is that you're going to think, well, the status quo, all the problems in our system are a result of too much freedom in our healthcare system because we have a mostly free healthcare market and that's clearly wreaking havoc. And so you need, a, a, we were told, we, you need a heavy dose of government control. And that is what Obamacare is. It is the greatest expansion of government in the last 50 years almost. And it is, it's an attempt to control this mostly free healthcare market. But in reality, of course, the healthcare market was already one of the most controlled industries in America before Obamacare. And so, and that's, I mean, this is a big confusion for people. And so now that we're, we're finding out, well, listen, maybe Obamacare wasn't as great as we thought it was. Um, at least people were told, well, wait to find out what's in it. Well, now we're finding out what's in it. When thinking about where to go forward with this, that is something we have to keep rap readily in mind that before Obamacare, we had a mostly controlled market. And if you actually trace back the problems in that system, in that market, you, will, you can see that it's actually government that's responsible. And so what you need is to get rid of the poison that is government. Yeah, so along those lines, I want to talk more about government, but specifically about the president's role in the, the new health care law. In response to the uproar about Obama, who apparently repeatedly made a promise that to people that if they wanted to keep their insurance, they'd be able to do that. Uh, and after that turned out to be not the case, after people received, many people received cancellation letters in the mail. At a recent press conference, he, he stood up and said, you know, that's 
kind of ignore what I've said before. I'm going to um, let or try to keep uh, keep good on this promise and let people, after all, keep their their insurance plans. And it seems like a strange thing for a president of the United States to be able to do to to say just by the words coming out of his mouth to be able to change change a law. And some people have worried um, that a single man being able to do that in, in, in America is troubling, or that Obama is trampling on the Constitution. Um, Steve, has the president overstepped his bounds here? He has absolutely overstepped his bounds. And I think there's a word for uh, when one government official gets to just dictate and make all the laws. But leaving that aside, um, you know, not only has President Obama been doing this right along, uh, with Obamacare essentially making up the law as it goes along, or maybe a better way to put it would be he is changing the law as it was written and passed by Congress based on the whims of his own administration and political expediency. Um, now, any sane, sensible, rational, objective rule uh, system of laws has to, at the very least, be uniform in its application, and it can't be changed on the whim of government officials, meaning it has to apply as much to the government as it does and be and be abided by as much by the government and, and government officials as it does uh, to and by the citizens that it uh, at least supposedly applies to. And yet, uh, look at what Obama is doing now. You know, we, we've often heard the, uh, the idea of a rule of law society versus a rule of man society. And that simply means in the one case you have objective principles that govern our, our behavior and establish what uh, what is a crime and what isn't. And in the other case, the rule of man type of society, you have essentially a dictator or uh, some head of state dictating what the rules are based on his own interests, his own concerns, and his own whims. And uh, we are creeping ever closer to a rule of men's society. In fact, uh, much of many of the laws that we have on the books right now are completely uh, illegitimate, and they essentially just uh, amount to little dictates and mandates to the, uh, you know, to the citizens that tell them what to do. And that's exactly what Obama has done here. He suspended parts of the law that he himself advocated and supported. They're in the written law. They were passed by Congress. Whether we like them or not, uh, uh, I would be all in favor of suspending the entire law and getting rid of it. But you just can't have one government official deciding what parts of a law are going to be enforced and what parts are not going to be enforced. That's practically the definition of the rule of man over the rule of law. Now, to, to, to very, very briefly put that in constitutional terms, the Constitution makes clear that Congress passes laws, it legislates, and only in narrow areas, which you know we've blown through that a long time ago, the president then executes the laws. In other words, he's sort of like the prosecutor. He enforces them, right? And he, he sets up the mechanisms for enforcing them. And then the courts resolve any disputes about those laws. So observe what Obama has done in one fell swoop here by suspending parts of the law that he doesn't like. He has effectively rewritten the law, right? Because the law doesn't say that, uh, um, that he can suspend the parts of it that he has. I mean, he's put off the employer mandate. Uh, and, and other provisions, the one that you just mentioned a moment ago. So he's effectively rewritten the law by doing that. 
Okay, he hasn't faithfully executed the law because the law says what it's supposed to do and he's ignoring that, right? He's claiming this is prosecutorial discretion, which is utter nonsense. Prosecutorial discretion is when uh, you know, a prosecutor decides whether there's quite enough evidence to prosecute somebody or, uh, or, or makes decisions about the means of enforcing the law. That doesn't mean that he's allowed to decide to suspend the law or, or uh, enforce it when he feels like it. And there's even a kind of trenching on the judiciary's turf here because, uh, you know, any t- sorts of disputes like this, when there are open questions of interpretation in the law, uh, uh, the president doesn't get to just decide those things for himself. He's supposed to uh, take issues like that to court or enforce the law, wait till somebody complains about it, and take those disputes before a court of law. That's what courts are for. So in one fell swoop, he's erased all three important separate powers in the government and essentially taken those to himself. Now, that's another definition of a dictatorship. And I'm not saying we're in a dictatorship, but I am saying that this uh, approach to law is very dictatorial in principle. And the more we do this, the more the president gets to assume that kind of authority and ignore all the other branches of government, the closer we creep to a dictatorship. Well, if that's true, who should be holding him accountable? Whose job is that? Well, that's a really good question. Any, there are any, so I would say, in a sense, all three branches of government plus the people should be holding him accountable. And if we really had an independent press and you know, a media that cared about this sort of thing and didn't just operate in lockstep with the president, we might get that. But it's really every aspect of a free society, every one of the various sort of institutions in our society should be holding him accountable. Congress should be going nuts over this and saying you cannot just uh, suspend this law. But of course, look how the law was passed. It was rammed through Congress. There were deals in every which way. I mean, it's a monstrosity. So when Congress gets to the point where it's passing laws like this that are so broad and that grant so much authority to the government that allows the government to dictate how people are going to run their own lives, right down to the level of what is going to be in their insurance plans. Of course, why is anybody in Congress going to raise a peep over this? I mean, hey, what you know? if they're just going to pass all of these endless laws, what difference does it really make if the president adds a couple little nuances or a few laws here and there or detracts, you know, takes away from a few laws? I mean, we have thousands and thousands of pages, millions of pages of regulations on the book already. So, but Congress should be complaining about it. The people should be complaining about it. Um, you know, in a, in a sane world, uh, we would probably have hearings on this, just this alone, but of course, uh, nobody really cares. And ultimately, somebody would sue the president, get this before the courts, and they would uh, resolve it. And of course, in a sane world, they would say, or a rational world, the courts would say, you just can't suspend the law like this. But so much water has gone under the bridge on this front for the last century or so, it's uh, very, very difficult to turn back the clock now. Yeah, speaking of trends in in government, um, Ritu Parna, some have said that Obamacare is just simply a step along the road to a single-payer system, in other words, a, a Medicare for all, where the government is paying for every single citizen's health care. And given as the, the system now or the, the new law seems to be a, a train wreck, um, I'm wondering, what do you think is, is coming up next? There's a lot of interest in this question right now, Amanda. You know, where do we go from here? Um, and, you know, it's a hard question in a certain way. It's complicated. But I think what we can say is that we will get more government intervention in 
healthcare. Obamacare is not is not the end. And the reason I say that is, and in part of it is because it is it is failing in a lot of ways. It's not obviously um, it's not working the way the proponents of the law intended. But that's because what is the goal of the law, and what is the goal of all government intervention in healthcare? And it is this this view that we have a moral obligation to provide health care to those who need it and can't um, you know, get it themselves, can't acquire it themselves. Um, and if that is your goal, and if you don't question that goal, then the only thing that is compatible with achieving that goal, fully achieving that goal, is more government intervention in health care. And you're seeing this with Obamacare, right? I mean, Obamacare's attempt to fulfill this moral obligation is what? It is to exert a whole lot of control on private entities, on private individuals. So they're controlling individuals, saying, well, you have to buy this kind of insurance and not that kind of insurance. You're trying to control the insurance company, saying this is the kind of policy you have to offer, this is exactly what's going to be in it, this is how you're going to price it. They're controlling employers, saying, well, this is the kind of insurance you have to pay for your employee, um, this is how much you can charge them for, this is how much you have to take on. So there's a lot of control, an attempt to control. And that is very, excuse me, that is very, very difficult. And we're seeing that today. To create a website where this kind of thing happens is complicated. People don't want to go along. Employers don't want to go along, which is part of the reason why the employer mandate was pushed back a year. Individuals, certainly, there's a huge concern that people will not buy insurance, even though there's a mandate to do so. And so this is not the most effective way to go about achieving the goal of universal coverage of creating a system where, yeah, if your neighbor needs health care, it's up to you to make that happen for them somehow. Um, and so what is easier? And the reason I think people say single payers, because, well, if all we're trying to do is create a system in which you know, you, you, uh, other people are paying for your health care, isn't it a lot easier to just tax everybody, right? Just tax them. And then the government can then go and you know, uh, give out that money accordingly, depending on whatever it wants to do. Isn't that a lot easier than to create this elaborate, complicated system where we're expecting it to happen through premium subsidies and through individuals buying insurance and employers doing this and this other party doing that? That's very complicated. And so for that reason, because I think that this is the goal driving um, healthcare reform, you're going to see more government. Now, how that's going to play out, are we going to get single payer tomorrow or are there going to be a lot of small steps along the way? That depends really on the political realities of the situation. But if you look through history, what you have seen in America is greater and greater government involvement, intervention in healthcare, and I think that's going to continue. And ultimately what you're going to see or going to need if you're serious about achieving your goal is total control. Um, so as a, I want to ask you both a question as sort of a wrap up. We're running short on time here. Um, and I, I want to give people um, a positive message. I mean, I know we've talked a lot about all the problems with Obamacare. Many people are opposed to the law or have already, uh, or, or at least if they weren't before, now that all the problems are, are starting to come out, maybe they're turning towards, towards that view. Um, so what would you tell people? What is the most important thing that Americans um, should know about Obamacare? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think uh, talking to the people who want to fight against this law, the most important thing I would say to them 
is to understand that the law, in essence, is functioning precisely the way it is supposed to function. So if they want to attack the law, they should attack the ideas that are behind the law and not worry so much about a lot of the, the, the kind of symptoms or consequences that, that, the, uh, that, is, that people focus on in politics, but get to the underlying causes, right? This law is supposed to uh, change the nature of the health insurance market and, and what health insurance is. So of course it's going to eliminate everybody's choices, but get back to the fundamental premise of the law. And here's the way I think about it. The premise of this law is that we're all our brother's keeper, okay? If you enshrine that idea in law, uh, you've enshrined in, in the law the idea that everybody has the right, in a sense, to dictate to everybody else, right? That as a logistical matter, that's absolutely impossible. So we need a kind of keeper in chief, okay? Who's the keeper in chief? It's the government, okay? That means the government will dictate to everybody about their individual choices and what they decide to do with their own lives and their own times. Time. And it means uh, that you are not entitled to pursue your own happiness and your own law life. Other people are uh, allowed not only to tell you what to do, but to expect you to sacrifice your life and your happiness for their good. That is why we have this law. That is why the law is functioning the way it is, right? That's why it's eliminating everybody's choice. That's why it's a, log a logistical nightmare to, to implement. And that's why it will ultimately end up giving us, uh, you know, the worst form of not only insurance, but, but health care. So if you want to attack this law, don't co complain about the consequences of the law. Complain about the ideas that are behind it and try to teach people that once you accept those ideas, the bad consequences have to follow. Yeah, what I think people really need to recognize um, is, you know, the, the goal of this law was, okay, well, we, there are people with pre-existing conditions and they can't afford their health care, and so now other people have to pay for it. And who are these other people? It's important to get clear on exactly who they are. And these are, and the, the law is to, uh, designed like this from you know top to bottom. It is to shift that responsibility, shift that burden to the younger generation. That is what Obamacare, it, and people call it intergenerational theft. It is. It is placing the duty of you taking care of your own health care, placing that duty now on the younger generation, saying to them that, you know what, you don't have a right to pursue your own happiness, to pursue your own values in life, not until you pay for the health care of older generations. And this is tremendously unjust. So the young, younger generation is not only going to be facing the economic consequences of this, but we hadn't, we didn't really talk about this, but just the destruction Obamacare is already causing in the medical market to the state and quality of American medicine and what it's going to continue to do. Young, the younger generation is the one who's going to experience that the most. And as this thing really starts falling apart, they're the ones who are going to see the worst aspects of socialized medicine, fascist medicine, call it what you will. And so it's really identifying who this law is really destroying. And it is the younger, gener it is the younger generation in America. Well, thank you both for being here. Thanks a lot for having thank us. Thank you. You've been listening to Eye to Eye, an Ayn Rand Institute podcast. This episode, with guests Ritu Parna Basu and Steve Simpson, is titled Obamacare What You Need to Know Now. Ritu Parna Basu is an analyst at the Ayn Rand Institute. She writes and speaks extensively on issues surrounding health care. Steve Simpson is a former senior attorney at the Institute for Justice and current Director of Legal Studies at the Ayn Rand Institute. 
Mr. Simpson writes and speaks about a wide variety of constitutional, legal, and philosophical issues. You can read Ms. Basu's insights about Obamacare and the state of American health care and keep up to date with Mr. Simpson's commentary by visiting the Ayn Rand Institute blog, Voices for Reason, at blog.aynrandcenter.org. Episodes of this podcast are available on the Voices for Reason blog at blog.aynrandcenter.org or on iTunes. You can find more information about Ayn Rand and her ideas on the web at aynrand.org. I'm Amanda Maxim for Eye to Eye.